0: Well, you know we're so glad that you are here with us uh, this weekend and um, just want to welcome all of you here to our central campus of Center Street Church. Want to welcome everybody who's joining us at Bridgeland and Northwest and Airdrie and South Campus as well. And you know, one of the things that we love about Center Street Church is that we are one church for many different locations on a weekend across the city and in Airdrie and the reason we are the way that we are is in order to reach people with the love and the message of Jesus Christ all over the city, Airdrie, surrounding communities. And so we, we just have a conviction that we are better together. And, um, and so we have, you know, that's why we have folks that worship in the deep south, all the way in Airdrie, northwest, and uh, Bridgeland. And so welcome to Center Street Church. We're so glad you're here. And, uh, you know, through this summer... You know this, if you've been here for a little bit, we are working through the book of 1 John. And our hope and desire is that we'll conclude with 1 John um, right at the end of August there. And so today we're going to be looking at the first five verses of chapter 5. So if you brought your Bibles, turn there, turn there in your phone or whatever you've got with you. We're going to read these verses in just a moment But before we read these verses, I just want to prime your thinking and sort of prepare you to read these verses with some things in mind. If you haven't done this already, sit down, take some time this summer, find this comfy spot, good spot, read all of 1 John. There's five chapters, it won't take you very long, but read it purposely, read it intentionally, because this is what you're going to find. John the Apostle is a masterful writer, just brilliant writer. And what we see is that he, he continually speaks about similar themes and re- re- revisits them using different language, using different sentence structure. And so he just, he kind of just goes around, builds on this theme, this theme, this theme. And he, done that, he does that again and again and again. And some of these themes we see is John continuing to remind us who our God is. He says, God is light. God is love. God forgives. And he just, he, just, he does not want us to forget. Who our God is. Another theme that he talks about is who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, we commit our lives to following him. John reminds us again and again and again of who we are, identity. He says, you are God's children. You are loved. You are forgiven. This is your identity. Don't forget about this. And the place that he does that so clearly is in 1 John chapter 3. He says, Um, what love, oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And in case we didn't understand that, he says and that is what you are. But John continually just affirms our identity. We're righteous, we're loved, we're forgiven, we're his children. And then John can't help it, but in almost every single chapter, he challenges us with, okay, what will be the evidence of the way that you live your life as followers of Jesus Christ? In almost every chapter, he says, by this you will know, by this we will know, by this they will know, and he speaks of the evidence of our Christian living. And he, he reminds us again and again, the evidence of your love for God, the evidence of your identity as children of God is how you, how you act towards others, how you love towards others, how you speak towards others, and what you believe to be true. So John is saying all of this is evidence if you love God, if you love others. I was talking with a friend maybe three or four weeks ago, and we just got right into a pretty um, rich conversation. We were talking about, uh, he was just sharing about his life, and he said, you know what? I find myself right now working every single day of the week. He said, I'm not happy with that. It was physically, it was just, I mean... Downcast, I'm not happy with this," he said. "I used to have Thursday set aside to just enjoy uh, creation, enjoy relationships, rest before God, and the Bible calls this Sabbath." He said, "Thursday was my Sabbath, but because things had just changed in his life and his vocation a little bit, he found himself working every single day. No, not all day, but partial days, and he just didn't have time for Sabbath. And he said, "I'm not happy with this." So we talked about that, and then our conversation then went to conversation of our identity. And we started talking about how sometimes we just, our work becomes who we are. And our identity can become pulled in so many different things and taken away from our core identities, being loved by God, children of God. And then we got into talking about how we see God and how we see Him sometimes rightly with who He really is. And sometimes we, we feel like we have to perform for Him. We have to do good for Him so that He'll love us. And Anyways, it was such a rich conversation. And then he got to this point. He said, Kent, I thought by this point in my life, I'd have all this stuff figured out. I'd have it all figured out. And I said, you know what? I feel the same way sometimes. And I think, you know what I believe about God is he just, as we grow as followers of Jesus Christ, as we grow to be fully devoted, fully mature, you know, I don't think we could stand if God focused on an aspect of our life and just grew us all the way to full maturity that he would desire for our life, I think we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't be able to stand that. And so God, God talks to us about this area of our life. Then he talks to us about this area of our life. And then he talks to us about this area of our life and this area of our life. And hopefully as we grow spiritually, God, by his spirit, continues to grow us and mature us, right, in different aspects. So we, we find ourselves growing And I think that's why we think sometimes, boy, I thought we'd have this all figured out. And when we think that way, God's trying to say to us, look, pay attention, pay attention to what I'm doing. And this is what I believe John is doing in this book. He's just taken us from this aspect of God, this aspect of who we are, this aspect of how we ought to live, and just talking to us about different ways, about building and building and building the case for who God is and who we are. Bringing greater, greater clarity than to how would God want us to live. And so, with all of this in mind, right, with all of this in mind and these themes and understanding what John's trying to do here in this text, would you stand with me and let's read together 1 John chapter 5, you know, verses 1 to 5. So, let's read together 1 John chapter 5. overcomes the world. And this is the faith that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Would you pray with me? So God, as we look at these verses here this morning, our hearts desires that you would quicken, win us. us. Our hearts to and our minds to hear what you're saying to us. Help us to understand this text. And Holy Spirit, bring gentle conviction, bring gentle correction, bring encouragement, bring joy, bring truth to us this morning. As we look at this ancient text of yours, God, help us to understand you more fully. Help us to understand who we are, how you want us to live. So God, do your work here this morning in each one of us, at the place that we're at, in the areas that you want us to focus on in our lives before you. Speak because we want to hear what you have to say to us. We know that your word does not return void. Your word bears fruit in our lives. Your word is what grows us. Your word is what teaches us. And so make us attentive to what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Please have a seat. So this text here, I mean, it is, it is so full of truth. It's almost like John's trying to just describe the whole gospel. You know, all aspects of God and who we are and how we want us to live in these five verses. But what is, what is he really trying to say to us here? And I believe he's trying to say, first of all, this. That John wants to remind us this. That our obedience, our obedience, our obeying his commands, our living before him, our obedience does not bring about our salvation. Our obedience does not bring about our salvation. At the outset, as a first concern of his right off the top, John wants us to know that salvation comes to us, is a gift to us, when we believe in Jesus as Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, period. Period. Salvation is not through obedience to Him. Salvation is not through obeying His commands. Salvation is not doing absolutely everything perfect and right. Our obedience can't save us. Our obedience can't save us from our sin. Even our desire to love God rightly and love other people like like we ought to, does not bring about our salvation. We just read this. John says, Everyone... Who believes that Jesus is the Christ, Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one come from God? Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Where have we heard these words again before in Scripture? Born of God or born again. We hear this when Nicodemus comes to see Jesus. Right? Nicodemus was an expert in the law. He would have had sort of like multiple PhDs in his knowledge and of the law, of God's commands. He was an expert in his commands, in God's commands. He, he would have prided himself in being so incredibly knowledgeable of all that God said for the nation of Israel, Jewish people, to obey. And he comes to Jesus at night, and he just starts making some observations. Jesus, you are a teacher. No one can do what you do unless you were from God And Jesus even tells Nicodemus, this expert in the law, Jesus even tells him, your obedience will not save you. Your obedience will not save you. Jesus goes on to say, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus kind of scratches his head and said, well, how can I go back into my mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus says to him, how can you think I'm thinking that? Like, that's, that's crazy. You're not understanding what I'm trying to say to you, Nicodemus. And their conversations continue on. And then Jesus says this to Nicodemus. John 3.16. This verse is in the context of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. John says this. Jesus says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. that whoever believes in him. Not whoever is obedient to him. Not whoever can obey all of his commands. No, whoever believes in him, that's Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. See, through believing in Jesus, we are born of God. We're born again. We're saved into a brand new life with God. And John wants us to know this right off the top, right as of first importance. Because John knew, just like Nicodemus, when we start talking about obeying God, following his commands, living rightly before him, not sinning, We can so easily shift into thinking that our obedience to God may somehow make him love us more, make him approve of us more, make him be more generous to us or bless us more or save us. We can so easily begin thinking this way that because of our obedience, we're better before God. We may even compare ourselves to someone else where I'm more obedient than they are to God. I mean, that is just not right thinking. Our obedience to God's commands has absolutely no bearing, zero impact on us being saved. Period. Now, our obedience to God and obeying His commands has a whole lot to do after we're saved has a whole lot to do about the evidence of our love towards God, the whole lot to do with the evidence of our devotion and commitment to him and following him wholeheartedly and and following him as a, a fully devoted disciple. And I'm not saying that God's commands are not important. They are absolutely so important. Even in how we give testimony and witness that God has changed our lives. How will people know? Except they see that our lives are different. But our obedience has absolutely no bearing on us being saved, absolutely none. If it did, if it did, let's just say it did, our obedience had some bearing, how much bearing? I mean, would we be required 100% obedience to be saved? I mean, we know that there's only one person who lived absolutely obedient, perfectly obedient before God. So it can't be 100%. Okay, so then 90%, 80%, 70%, what about 51 If we just tip the scales that way, if we were 51% obedient to God, would that then earn our salvation? And we were, we were 49% living like hell. Like, I mean, would that be the case? So what are God's commands? What are God's commands? What are the commands we would have to obey? Certain these commands? Yes, these commands? No. I mean... You see that way of thinking. It just is not right. It's not rational, it's not reasonable. What are God's commands? We might first of all think of the Ten Commandments. Absolutely. Those are commands from God. We might then think of the commands that we see in Exodus and Leviticus and numbers, I mean, Deuteronomy. We might think of the instructions that come to us, God's people, through the prophets in the latter part of the, the Old Testament. We come to the New Testament, you could argue, a person could argue that there are over a thousand commands in the New Testament. Commands like, love your enemies, love God, do not commit adultery, love your neighbor, go and make disciples, baptize people, put on the whole armor of God, and more and more and more. And when we look at all of God's commands, it's overwhelming. It's simply impossible for us to think that if we obey God, that somehow has an impact on our salvation. We can't even go there. We can't even maybe say then that our obedience will somehow make God love us more. I mean, how much more would God have to love us than to save us? See, our obedience... If we think that we obey so that God would love us more, approve of us more, value us more, cherish us more, think we're more important, um, save us, that's legalism, church. The Bible has no place for legalism. Legalism is, I obey, therefore I am loved. I obey to be loved. That's legalism. In our relationship with God, we see the complete opposite. And our relationship with God, when we understand rightly who God is and who we are, then our relationship with God leads us to know, to know, to know. I am so lavishly loved. I'm so incredibly loved. And I want to obey. I want to obey. That's a relationship. Church, there's no room for legalism in us following God. It's not our obedience or our righteousness or our obeying God's commands that enables us to be saved. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Paul reminds us of this, for it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, that's faith in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, faith in Jesus. And this not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. Saying right there, there's nothing you can do about this. It's a gift from God, complete gift, free gift. Not by works, not by your obedience, not by your perfection, not by your striving, not by obedience at all, obeying commands, so that no one can boast. And you can be certain, as many people in this room, if our obedience could earn us salvation, we would all be boasting like crazy. (laughs) We would. By grace, you've been saved. So, how are we saved? By grace and through faith, believing that Jesus is the Son of God, Savior of the world. Our obedience has no bearing on our salvation. Why is this important? Why does John want us to know this right at the top? It's because he wants us to know what kind of God, what kind of Father we really do have. See, the conversation we've been having, what does that tell you about God? What does that tell you about how he sees us as humankind? It tells us that we can't even begin to imagine how much love God has for us. We can't even begin to imagine the extent of his forgiveness and grace towards us. We can't begin to imagine the extent of his mercy and compassion upon us. We can't even begin to imagine what it cost him That while we were still sinners and rebellious towards God and not even thinking about Him at all, He sent His Son to die for us. When we hadn't even thought about God, when we hadn't even maybe done one good thing towards God, John wants us to know how amazing and extravagantly loving and how incredible and how wonderful our Heavenly Father is towards us. He wants us to know this as of first importance so that we don't get confused that somehow our obedience to God's commands will earn us salvation. It's a free gift, period, end of story. Nothing we need to question again. That's why John says this right at at the very beginning here. He wants us to know this first. He wants us to know this truth. And then after this, then he leads us to talk about Okay then, how do we obey God? How do we obey his commands? Where does this fit into our relationship with him? How does this work? See, first of all, like we've already said, God wants us to know, or John wants us to know, our obedience has no bearing on our salvation. So how how does obedience work? It works this way. Our obedience to God is the evidence, it's the outworking of our love for God. Our obedience to God is the evidence of our love for God. And what John is saying here is that if anyone is a follower of Jesus Christ, says they love God, there ought to be some evidence in their life that they're obeying his commands. That's the evidence of a person's love for God. And John makes this connection here between loving God, right, And obedience to God, that's the evidence, that's the action of our love. He makes this connection between our loving of God and our action of obedience towards God to do this, to keep us from thinking that our love for God can only be in our feelings, in our emotions. John makes this connection between our love for God and the evidence and the action to keep us from thinking that we can just say we love God and it's just feelings and emotion and that's it. I mean, imagine this for a second, right? Just go with me here just for a little bit. Think of someone in your life who loves you. Think of your mom. Moms always love their kids, right? Think of your mom. Think of a spouse. Think of someone else. Get them in your mind. You picture them. You see them, right? You have someone in your mind who loves you. Okay, picture them. Let's just say for a moment that they they only express feelings of love for you. He might say, I like you. You're so special. You're wonderful. I love you. He might say, I have so many loving emotions welling up in my heart towards you. (laughs) You know, they just express feelings and emotion towards you of their love. But, but they don't show it in action in any way. They never serve you. They never listen to you. They never do anything for you. They never spend time with you. They're never... Buying you a little gift to show that they love you. They're never thoughtful in their actions towards you. They never put you first. They They never share anything with you. They're never generous towards you. They never do any proactive, right, actions of love towards you. And in fact, they do things that you ask them not to do. You ask them, well, please don't do this, they do it anyway. Please don't do this, they do it anyway. But, but they express feelings of love towards you. They express emotions of love towards you. They do that. Can you imagine that kind of relationship? It's just silly. It's ridiculous. It's not love. It's something else, but it's not love. You see, genuine love requires action. This is what John says here in verse verse 2. He says this, This is how we know that we love the children of God. Children of God are believers, those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and obeying his commands. And what is love for God? This is love for God, he says, to keep his commands. See, what John says here just so clearly, the evidence of our love for God, the evidence of our love for fellow believers is... Obedience to God's command. It's the evidence, it's the outworking of our lives that show that we love God. You see, God's commands are in His Word to us. This book is full of instruction, guidance for our lives, commands from God. God's Word is is the framework, provides the framework, it provides the structure, it provides the parameters, it provides the the design of our relationship with God. His word brings definition to, if you'd ask the question, how are we supposed to relate to God? Read his word. It's full of instruction commands. God says, worship me only. That's, That's providing some guidance and instruction of how our relationship with God looks. See, God's Word does that. It provides definition. It describes. It shapes the design of how we relate to God. And In the same way, His Word, His commands bring definition and description and define the relationship that God wants us to have with others around us. His commands do that. His commands are so very practical and good for our lives. Because, you see, when we break one of God's commands in our relationship with God, we know that that. Fractures. It affects our relationship with Him. When we are disobedient, when we sin towards someone else, when we don't follow God's commands towards others, it, it affects the relationship. So we would stand to conclude that all of God's commands and laws provide guidance for us in how we relate to God and how we relate to other people. And so when God speaks to you through His Word and reveals to you something that you, He wants you to do, Or when he reveals to you a way that you have not obeyed, you've sinned towards him or someone else. When he does that through his word, when he does that through his whispers by his Holy Spirit in our lives, when he does that, God never asks us, God never forces us to obey him. God never makes us obey him. He never, he never coerces us to obey his commands in his written word. And the instruction that comes to us by His Spirit. God's commands to us are always an invitation. Are always an invitation to follow Him. To obey Him. Ultimately, His commands are an invitation to trust in Him. Because trust and love go hand in hand. You can't love someone fully if you don't trust them. God's commands are always an invitation to trust in Him and and to believe in Him, to believe that He has our best interests at heart. In fact, God says, all of my commands are for your good, are for your good. See, God's commands are always an invitation for us to live as His children, as His children, as His sons and daughters. His commands are always an invitation For us to acknowledge and follow him as our heavenly father, the good father that he is to us. And really, when we live this way, when our obedience to God is the evidence of our love for God, really we're following in the way of Jesus. We're following in the way of Jesus. You see, I think Jesus probably said this phrase more than once in his life here on earth. We only read of him saying it once, but I, I think he probably said this more often. And it's this phrase that Jesus says. He says, Not my will, but yours be done. See, Jesus said that when there was a critical moment of obedience to God his Father, that he he wanted to take and God had planned for him to take. Not my will, but yours be done. Every moment of obedience in our lives is the fact that we're saying, not my will, yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. Not my way, God, your way. Not what I want, what you want. Not what I would desire, what you desire, God. See, in living our lives this way, we're conformed more and more and more into the image, into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Our obedience is always the evidence that we love God. Our obedience is the evidence that we trust in God. Our obedience is the evidence that we believe that God is always good. Our obedience reveals that we believe his commands are for our benefit. Our obedience reveals that we believe his commands are for our blessing and for our well-being in our lives. Our obedience displays the belief that we have a good Father who loves us and that he desires to Good for his children. See, it's the evidence of our life. So how's the evidence of your life these days? If someone would, this is a tough question to reflect on. If someone would observe our lives, would they see evidence that we love God? Or would they see evidence that we're just continually doing things our way, doing things the way we want to do them? see, what do we do? What do we do when we don't obey God? What do we do when we fail? What do we do? A question I'd ask you is, so how, do you obey God? How do you obey God? Do you obey God? As I think about myself answering that question, Kent, do you obey God? I think I'd like to say, you know what, I most of the time feel like I do obey God, but sometimes I don't. And I think that'd be the way you'd all answer it as well. Most of the time, I hope I do. Sometimes, I know I don't. And sometimes when I know I don't, it's just I'm just sort of on autopilot and it's by accident almost. You know, and or I don't think of what I could do to, to be obedient to God in that circumstance. And other times I knowingly I knowingly step into disobedience. I think we'd answer that question all like that. So what do we do? What do we do with our disobedience? What do we do with our sin? Really, that's the question. How does this look in our lives? What do we do when we don't do the good we know we should do? What do we do when we do the things we know we shouldn't do? You see, part of our being, just as humans, part of our being is that there's part of us that just doesn't want to obey someone else. Have you ever said this? Uh, Who are you to tell me what to do? Have you said that? (laughs) Who are you to tell me what to do? Sometimes maybe we don't say it out loud, but we think it in our hearts, right? And sometimes we might think, so what authority do they have to tell me how to live my life? It's part of us. It just doesn't want to obey. Some, we just don't want to do what we, what we want to do. I was volunteering in children's ministry last weekend, and um, I won't tell you what class, because maybe some of you parents would come up and say, was that my kid? Um, but... Um, this little child and and so you know I just I said to I said to the, the child, you know, hey just just sit here. We're all sitting on our circles, right? Sit here. So he sat there and then all of a sudden he just kind of started moving over, moving over, moving over. And I'm like, oh no, just come sit here. And then then we were at story time and and uh, you know this little little guy was just started climbing up onto the stage, onto the platform, and I was just like, no, hey, come back down here. Come back down here. And then after a few moments, we just kind of creeping onto the platform again. You know, But isn't, isn't this just unfortunately in our nature? Just sometimes there's something in us. It just is, doesn't want to be told what to do. We don't want to live under authority. We don't want to live under laws. We don't want to live with boundaries or parameters. There's a rebellious nature that we have towards any limitation of our desires. Timothy Keller says this, that we have within us a rebellious self-assertion, meaning that we have a rebellious nature, part of us within us that we battle against, really. We fight against, we battle against. And this rebellious self-assertion says, at times, no one tells me how to live my life. No one tells me how to live my life. It's my life. No one tells me what to do with my wealth, my finances. No one tells me. No one tells me what I do with my leisure time. No one tells me what I can and can't do. No one tells me what I can and can't watch. No one tells me. No one tells me what I can do with my body. It's my body. No one tells me all of these phrases describe this rebellious self-assertion that we have this self-centeredness truly this selfishness within us that makes us want to fulfill our desires and this is the battle that we have and when we act out in this rebellious self-centered way it makes it truly does it makes a mess of our lives it can make a mess of our marriages it can make a mess of our families With a whole bunch of people like this, it messes up a whole community. With a whole bunch of people like this, it messes up a city. You see, God's commands are for cities, are for nations, are for families, are for neighborhoods, and are for individuals. His commands are for the world. And sin and disobedience within us can be described as the human tendency, the active human tendency that we have to break stuff. Think of all the things that we break. The active tendency that we have of our sinful, disobedient nature is to break stuff. We break promises. We break relationships. We break our well-being. Rules get in the way. We break the rules. Promises get in the way. We break promises. Greed and envy and coveting and jealousy rise up within us and it breaks the bank account. lustful desires well up within us and it breaks marriages people get in the way and we break people we hurt people so what happens what do we do with this as we strive as we as we desire that the Obedience of our lives would be the evidence that we love God and yet we disobey. What do we do with this? What happens if if a person continues on in disobedience? What does that look like? What happens when you and I hear from God's word what he wants us to do? What what happens when we hear God speak to us by his spirit, leading us to do what he wants us to do with obedience to his commands? And if we do not respond, what happens is our hearts become hardened. They become calloused. We become unloving, unkind. Our hearts become hard, where we don't desire to obey. What happens is, we don't hear God speak to us as clearly as we once did. It's sort of like our disobedience has an impact on our on our ears, and we just we can't hear God's Holy Spirit like we used to. His speaking and our hearing ability d- diminishes. What happens is our desire to do what is right, where maybe at one time we just, we had such a compelling desire to love God well and our lives would be shown, our lives would show our obedience to him in this way, that desire just wanes. What happens is the sorrow that we felt when we disobeyed, when we sinned, that sorrow brought about by the Holy Spirit's conviction in our lives, that sorrow isn't there anymore, at least not as much. It's just not there. So we become hardened to the effects of our sin, our disobedience. And if we continue in our disobedience, if we continue in our sin, just less and less and less we'll hear God's voice, less and less we'll even love God at all. And we don't want to get there. We don't want to get there because what John says is the evidence of our lives, the evidence, the obedience in our lives is the evidence that we love God. So there's something that we can do. There's hope in all of this. There's something that we can do in order to battle against our disobedience. There's a a means towards obedience. There's a, a pathway that we can take. And the pathway that I want to suggest to you is the way of confession way of confession. You see, confession, when we confess our sin to God, confession liberates us from our sin and our disobedience, and it heals and it mends and restores our relationship with God. That's what confession does. Confession as well liberates us and restores back to us our identity as children of God. Confession is What heals and mends and restores relationships with God and with others. Confession is the practice. Confession is the spiritual discipline. Confession is what we do. And, you know, I encourage you. I implore you, really. Make confession a normal part of your life. Let's just normalize that. We don't talk a lot about confession. I wonder if in our, you know, the community groups that we're a part of, if we talk about confession there. Talk about confession there. You see, the Bible actually says, confess your sins to one another, obviously in a healthy, appropriate way with someone you trust. <laughs> confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you'll be healed. Confess your sins to God. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you'll be healed. And that, that application is for physical healing, but certainly that application is for a relational healing, a relationship to be restored. Confession is good. Confession is right. Confession is the antidote to disobedience. Confession is the antidote to a hardened heart because how can your heart be hard if you humble yourself before God and confessing your sin, you've got to humble your heart. You come with him with a humble, contrite, repentant heart. and Say, God, I've sinned. Healing for your heart, softening of your heart is through confession. It's through confession that our ears become attentive once again to God. Because we're talking with God and we want to hear him say you're forgiven. And we want to hear him restore our identity and who we are. Confession is so good. And John knows this. <laughs> The author of this book of 1 John, he knows this because he already told us this in chapter 1. Look at what John says in 1 John 1, verse 9. If, if, and that's the big question if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I mean, what a wonderful verse. We have, let's read this together. We got to read this together. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, true confession is acknowledging, taking full responsibility for what we've done. True confession is just simply saying, I lied, I cheated, I didn't love, my heart was full of greed, my heart was lustful. That's true confession. Accepting responsibility, acknowledging what we've done, period. No excuses. No excuses. No blame shifting. Confession does not offer excuses. It doesn't say, if you only knew what I was going through at that moment. It doesn't say, you'd have no idea what they did to me. Confession doesn't say, They made me do it. Where have we heard that before, in the Garden of Eden, (laughs) way back at the very beginning, they, she made me do it. No. No. There's no blame shifting, no excuses. Some of the circumstances around our obedience may be true, but it's not the cause of our sin because the reality is you and I, only you and I are the cause of our sin. True confession is humbly saying to God or to someone else that we've wronged. I did this. I did this. And then it's saying, I'm so sorry. My heart is broken. Whatever words you want to put in there, I'm so sorry that I did this. Without making excuses. And then saying, will you please forgive me? Will you please forgive me? And then receiving forgiveness. Receiving forgiveness from God. Thanking God for his forgiveness. Thanking God for his love and compassion and mercy in our lives. And then, and then it's not just going and doing it again. But it's with a repentant heart saying, and God help me walk in obedience to you around this. That's confession. First John 1.9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just and will forgive us our sins. We need to know And I want to encourage you with hope, with how amazing our loving Heavenly Father is. We need to know this about God, that He is faithful, faithful to forgive. What does that mean? It means He doesn't forgive sometimes when He's in a good mood, when, when our sin is not really bad. He's faithful all the time, 100%, continually, all the time, faithful to forgive. That is God's nature that He is faithful. You never have to question if He will forgive you or not. He will always forgive. He's a faithful, loving God to us, our Father. I mean, what earthly father would not forgive their children? A wicked father. We have a good father who will always be faithful to forgive. And the word just here is so important as well. So important to know, to understand. Because you see, God is just. Because he's just, he required a payment for the sins of the world. And his justice led him to send his own son to die on the cross. And so justice was fulfilled with Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the world. You see, justice has already been carried out on Jesus Christ. And so what that means, though, is God's action of justice means he he has to forgive us. Because justice has been paid. Forgiveness has already been extended if we will ask him. If we will ask him. God is faithful and just. And you know what that means for us. What it means for me is that sometimes I I question and I think. Did God hear me pray and ask him to forgive me? (laughs) Did, did Did he forgive all of my sin? Or just part of it? Did he forgive some of it? I think you probably have the same feelings and friends. God is faithful and just and will forgive us. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to question. We don't have to go back to when we confessed before. That's done. God says he doesn't hold our sin. He doesn't count our sin against us. Carry it into the future. Our sins are covered. They're not counted against us. We're clean on the inside. This is what confession does for us. Confession liberates us from our disobedience. What do we do with our disobedience? Confess it. What do we do with our sin? Confess it. Receive forgiveness. Confession frees us from our sin, restores us into relationship with God, and restores our identity as God's children. This is the way to obedience. John wants us to know Our obedience has no bearing. does not bring about our salvation. Our obedience towards God is the evidence of our love for God. And confession. Confession is a way we live our lives. Continually being restored in our relationship with God and with others. So we've come to the end now, and I thought, you know what? We need to spend some time in prayer. Because I'm wondering if in our conversation we've had together here, if there's some things that have just raised up in your mind, you're like, I know I need to confess that. I want to encourage you to do that right now. It's no better time. Confess that right now. We're going to spend a couple minutes in silence, and it might seem longer than it is, but it's just a couple minutes. Confess your disobedience to God. Say, I did this. Express your sorrow ask him to forgive you, receive that forgiveness, then ask him to help you walk in obedience. And maybe for some of you, as we've been talking about this evidence of our life, right? Our obedience is the evidence of our love. There might be an area of your life that God has put his finger on and said, you know what, I need you to pay attention to that aspect, that area of your life because you are continually being disobedient. You're not loving me. You see, where God points out an area of our life, He's gracious to us. If He puts His finger on an aspect of your life, His hand is there to walk with you in that. He doesn't point out something and say, Good luck. That's not the kind of God we have. He points out an area and He says, Lean on me, depend on me. Ask my Holy Spirit to empower you to walk in obedience. It leads us into community. So if there's an area of your life that God's put his finger on, talk to him about that. Ask him about that. Say, God, I'm struggling with this. I need you to know what I want. I want to love you in this area of my life. I want to obey you. Help me. Talk with him about that right now before you leave this room. Maybe you're here this morning and you you don't know if you can be saved. Maybe you've been trying to obey God, trying to do good so that He can save you. You need to know your salvation is a free gift. And it's not easy to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and surrender your life to Him. It's not easy, but it's free. It doesn't cost you a thing. And So maybe this morning, spend some time in prayer. Acknowledging that Jesus is God's son, that he died for you. Ask him to live in you. Surrender your life to him. And enjoy an incredible life with him. So respond however you you feel led by God's spirit to respond right now. And we're going to spend only a couple minutes in silent prayer. And so God, we come to you in prayer now. We asked you at the outset, would you speak to us through your word? So God, hear the prayer of your people here this morning as we talk with you. Our Heavenly Father, in these moments of quietness and stillness, what a privilege it is that we can talk with you. What a privilege and a blessing that is. We can talk directly with you. Thank you, God, that you are a loving, good, kind, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, God. God, how could we ever understand the extent of your love towards us? So we worship you, we adore you for who you are. God, remind us often of who you are. Keep us from having a wrong perspective of what you're like because we can forget. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for walking with us as we stumbling obey you. God, help us where we need assistance. Empower us by your spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. We know you live in us, and so empower us by your spirit, the dynamic power that you bring with you, spirit. Live in us and dwell in us and enable us to live lives that bear witness that we love you, God. May the evidence of our lives bring people To know you, Jesus, may our kindness and our love and our compassion and our boldness and our courage and our sacrifice, our generosity and our love be so evident towards others that they may see you, God, and how amazing you are and enter life with you. God, we know your commands are not burdensome. They're there for our good. Jesus, thank you that because of you, we have victory in this life that we overcome sin and darkness and disobedience in us because of what you did, Jesus. God, thank you that you forgive our sin. Help us not to feel guilt or shame or condemnation when we come to you in confession because we know that's not from you. Thank you that we come to you joyfully, confessing our sin, receiving forgiveness, and then walking liberated and free now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you, be gracious to you. May God, by his Spirit, guide you and I in everything that we do and say this week, that we would bring glory and honor and fame to Jesus Christ and God the Father. May peace be upon you.